It's been a year since I've seen most of you, but it's good to see you this morning. I know we're thankful that you're here today. Brian had asked me to mention, and I wanted to do that too, um, this past week, Jim Huff had to say, so just, I guess, good night to his brother, didn't you, Jim? So we'll be praying for Jim's family and his brother, Carol. I actually got to go see him when I first came to Trinity. He had a heart attack or a stroke or something. So I was able to meet him. He was a good man. So we've been praying for their family. Uh, Doug Harold, now Travis, you'll have to get mad at your dad, okay? He's planned this for a long time. But I'm going to have to ask Travis if he'll stand up for just a minute. He's in his Navy, his Navy uniform this morning. So this is, this is something his dad wrote about him. He said he lived, studied, and traveled in Central and South America, Europe, and also Asia. He studied in China on a full scholarship. He speaks three languages. He has a Bachelor of Science in Business Administration and a member of the Honor Society. Following college, he joined the United States Navy to repay the debt that he believed he owed to his country. After basic training in the military, he was assigned to the aircraft carrier USS Nimitz, a supercarrier and one of the largest and most formidable warships in the world. His initial duties included chipping paint off the vessel. Mm, that's humbling, isn't it? <laughs> After five years of service, he finished his contract as a supervisor with the nuclear reactor department. At his last evaluation, he was recommended to be relieved of his duties and promoted to instructor pending continuation of his services in the Navy. Deployment consisted of participation in eight active military theaters. His was the longest deployment on an aircraft carrier since World War II. Travis was selected for the Nimitz drill team and earned numerous awards for excellence and achievement. He earned martial arts black belt at age 14 Wonder how that happened. <laughs> and won numerous competitive championships across the mid-Atlantic region. Carrier goals include employment into the U.S. Secret Service. Life goals include continued discipleship for Jesus Christ. So, Travis, thank you for your service to our country. God bless you. <clears throat> and we're glad that you came with us this morning. And by the way, <clears throat> let me put one more plug in. For those of you who don't know, and Brian mentioned this this morning, for all of our men, I want to challenge you, if you haven't, if you didn't go last year, and you don't have, if you do have something to do, just mark it off your calendar. It's going to be cold January the 20th anyway. That's a Friday night and a Saturday. Ray Meese, uh, who is a retired FBI agent, it's hard to believe, isn't it? But Ray's back there on the back. He was not related to Jim Comey, so don't make any association. <laughs> Ray retired in the good old days, but Ray has a heart for men, and he is such a wonderful blessing. If you've never talked to Ray and you don't know him, you need to get to meet him. Now, Marge is the best part, and he'll tell you that, but uh, Ray has a heart for men, and he wanted to do this, and we already have the booklet. Ray has it all ready, and it's broke up into shorter sections this year. It won't last as long. It gets right to the point, and I think it'll be great discussion for men and leadership in their home and their life. So we're going to be pushing this, and we want I'm going to be disappointed if we don't have 50 men because I think we can do that. But anyway, I think it's worth the investment, so let me encourage you to do that. 
As I thought about what to speak about on this first Sunday of 2023, I was reminded of my former alma mater, Piedmont, where Dr. Charles Stevens founded the school. He preached the same message every chapel of the first year. Now, he was passed away and gone before I got to hear him personally, but he always preached a sermon walking on two feet. And the whole gist of the message was learning to live life with balance. You know, if you get off kilter with one leg, what happens in our life? Well, we walk with a limp. And he talked about the importance of a Christian having balance in our life, balance in different areas. So I'm not going to preach his message to you now, but I have determined that next year on January the 1st, Lord willing... I want to share his old message with you because it's so practical. But what I wanted to do today is remind you of what you have in Jesus Christ. Uh, A balance, yes, but we have more than a balance. We actually have a rich, rich blessing. And there's no better place and no clearer picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ than in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. This is a snapshot of God's grace in the Christian life. And if you don't know this passage, you've never studied this passage, I thoroughly encourage you not only to read it, but to memorize it. You know, Greg, I have to ask you, did Miss Epperson make you memorize that passage in Philippians, or did you do that on your own? Okay. So we had the same speech teacher at Piedmont, and she made us what we thought was torturously remember 10 or 12 verses. And unbeknownst to me, they stuck in my life. And so as I think about a New Year's challenge, here's what I would recommend for you to do. First of all, start reading your Bible. Don't worry about reading through the whole Bible in a year, because what most people do is they cram through three chapters a day and they miss it. They don't get anything. Pick five books of the Bible and start reading. If your goal is to read from Genesis to Deuteronomy, take this year and read through those five books. But don't put your Bible down until God gives you something to change your life for that day. If it's one chapter and you've got enough to eat on all day, take it. Don't just keep piling. But do something in God's Word. Read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Read Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Just pick a section of the Bible and read your way through each book. It'll be a tremendous blessing to you. And then pick out a major passage and write it on a note card and start memorizing it and make it your goal to memorize one large section of Scripture this year. And don't tell me that you can't memorize it because you can if you go over it often enough. So there's my challenge for you this year. And now we're going to think about our hope and blessings in Christ. Now, listen to what Paul told this church, and you have to stay with me this morning. He is now praying for this church to let them know what they have in Jesus Christ. And this is what he says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope 
to which he has called you. Can I stop right there? That you, Paul is praying that these believers in Jesus would understand the hope to which God has called them. If I had a chance to talk to you one-on-one this morning, and I was able to, to pick your soul and ask you, can you share with me at least three blessings that God has promised you that he's going to give you in Jesus Christ, not that you deserve one of them, because you don't and I don't, but out of his goodness and his grace, he decides to give to us. What are three blessings that God has given you? Could could you give me three? What if I gave you a quiz this morning? Oh, I like the looks on these faces. See, this is fun. What are three blessings? Just share three. I'm not even going to make you stick to one passage. What what is one? Okay, he's he's the forerunner of our faith. What's another one? He gave us eternal life. What's another one? Okay, children of God. There's three. I'll let you get by with that. But I hope you have many more by the time we're finished this morning. The hope to which he has called you. Can I share just a few? Uh, Well, anyway, I'll share them. But I want to give you three this morning. I hope you write it down on something. Three blessings that God's grace has not just given to believers. No, 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 no. Three blessings that God's grace has lavished. You, You understand what lavishing is? I mean like giving you way more than you deserve. This is what I did to my dog over Christmas. I poured some food in its bowl and then I lavished it with more food. What a, what a wonderful dog. It was cold, let me tell you. Frigid cold this past week. And now we're going to be in t-shirts today. Crazy. God has lavished good weather on us, hasn't he? Three blessings that he's lavished on us. The first is, God overpowered sin's work against us. He overpowered sin's work against us. You know, it doesn't take long to look out in the world... Look at your neighbors, look at your family, those of us who had family in that don't know Jesus as their Savior. Listen carefully. They live their life every day without one thought of Jesus Christ or God's blessing upon them. Life is all about them and what they can get and what they can enjoy and what they can do and life is all about them and zero about God. And I want you to know something. That's exactly how I used to be and probably you used to be. And God stepped into our life through some messenger and shared to us that we were lost in our sin, we were dead toward God, and that we had a penalty to pay for our sin that we could never pay. But God, because He loved us, gave Christ. And we accepted Him as our Savior and He transformed our life. Listen to how Paul describes God's overpowering of sin in our life. We were desperate folks. And remember, Paul's talking to believers here. And he says, you believers now, you were dead in trespasses and sins. Stop there. What does that mean? You were dead in trespasses and sins. 
Basically, what that means is you, in your unsaved nature, had no desire, no response, no inkling to search for God to look for a way to have your sin taken care of. You were just happy where you were. Until all of a sudden, somehow by God's grace, He reached down and He touched us and gave us a heart and a desire to want to know Him. You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world. In other words, you were living just like everybody else in your department. Everybody else down your street. Everybody else in your circle. You were just one of them. You remember those days? I was watching my kids just the other night. Actually, it was last night as they were screaming at the television. No sense in us going to bed because they were watching a ball game and Aaron, I will not ruin it for you. He's DVR'd it and doesn't know any of the scores, so don't tell him. But they yell and scream. And I, I, I began thinking about my life at my children's age. And as I began to sit there and listen to our kids scream at the TV and yell, I, I began to think this. Lord, thank you that they like my house good enough on New Year's Eve to come there and eat my food and watch TV and turn every light in the house on. I don't care. Thank you that they like it here good enough to bring their friends and invite their friends and yell at my TV. And that they're not out somewhere else where I would have been. Thank you. And if they want to scream until midnight or 1 o'clock, that's fine. I can, I can make up sleep any time. But I'm grateful for that. And it really began to make me think about my life and where I was. And now, where God has graced my children, hopefully. I'm not saying they're perfect. I know they're little rotten sinners. But nevertheless, they, they have a privilege of grace. And they do not have to walk in the course of the world. But I want to tell you something. Not only was I walking in the course of the world... I think I was driving on the superhighway. And I'm not reveling in my past. I just know where I would have been if it wasn't for God's grace. This is me following the course of this world. I mean, didn't even know I was caught up in its traffic. I was on a boat going down a river, being pulled by its current, and you didn't even have to put an oar in the water. It just took you right along. This is what Paul's talking about. We were desperate and we didn't even know it. Following the course of this world, not just the course of the world, but notice also following the prince of the power of the air. 1 John chapter 5 says that the world, that is this system, the way the world, our world thinks, secularism, can I put it that way? Life without God is lying in the lap of the devil. He is the God of this world. He is the God of this age. And do you know what? He is driving this entire culture down into a life with no God, no thought of sin, no thought of the consequences of sin. Just do whatever you want and be happy and just rejoice in who you are. Well, thank God for the gospel. Because when I looked down deep in my life, it was hard to rejoice in who I was. 
People say, just be you. Oh my goodness, that's scary. Have you ever thought about being you? I don't want to be me. I want to be what God made me. But here Paul says, following the prince of the power of the air. Now by the way, when you read God's word and you understand who our enemy is, what does he want us to do? He wants us to live our life with no thought of God and just continue to do YOLO. You only live one time. Live it up and forget about everything else except the moment. And you be you. Well, thank God he stepped in with the gospel of Jesus. Living according to the prince of the power of the air. And he describes what that is. Notice it very carefully. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You want to know why people you watch on TV and Hollywood and all of the world is doing things, and I don't have to go down the litany list, why they are doing things that are so anti what God says we should do. Why are they reveling in that? Here's why, folks. They are blinded. They are empowered. They are energized. You ever wonder how evil gets so much energy? You ever wonder how some of these movements that are against family and God and children and the home, you ever wonder how they get so much money and so much uh, power and energy? Listen, they are energized and empowered by the evil one. Now Paul is not finished. He says, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, and this is how we lived it, in the passions of our flesh. Now can I just stop there for a moment? What is the passions of the flesh? You know, the New Testament says that there's this war that goes on inside the heart of every believer. And I want you to listen to me carefully. And that war is simply this. We begin to look at ourselves and reality, and life and reality, and then we begin to look at fantasy. And everybody has these fantasies. And we begin to think to ourselves, you know, uh, this, this life is just not giving me enough. I, I find no satisfaction here, and I will not be content until I fulfill this fantasy that I have. And here's what Paul says. Our fantasies are basically passions of our flesh, which cannot be satisfied nor fulfilled. Now, my loved one, listen to me. You might have passions. You may have longings. And I want you to know something. God put longings in our heart. But He wrapped it up in Scripture that you and I will never have our longings and fantasies fulfilled until we're in our redeemed body. You won't find it here. That's why money will never satisfy you because you'll always want more. That's why sexual pleasure will never satisfy you because it never brings fulfillment completely. That is why relationships that you search for and you look for and you think that you've found this wonderful love and glad Wes and Beth, well Wes is in here. The, the news flash of the day is the man you think you're going to marry that's going to be God in your life is going to let you down. 
And the woman that you're going to marry, that you think is going to bring all the fulfillment and joy in your life, she's going to let you down. That is a passion of our flesh that will only be fulfilled in God Himself. But this world tells us what? Seek, long, dig, scratch, claw, do whatever you can, fulfill your passion. And what does God say? Your passion will only be fulfilled in me. The greatest joy in your life will be found in your relationship with Jesus Christ and God the Father, and I promise you it will not be fulfilled here on this earth. And that's what we call living by faith. And our hope that we have. You're not going to get it all here, folks. And I've got news for you. If Jesus doesn't come back, you're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to get sick and die. Something's going to happen and you're going to die. But we have hope beyond this life, just like we sang. What does Paul say? We lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. I told you. Fantasy. Flesh and fantasy. And that's what we chased. But when we become believers and understand God's Word, we begin to recognize, ooh, that is my flesh pulling me in a direction away from the Lord. Stop! See, this is what the believer does. Stop! That's a passion of the flesh. That is a fantasy. It can't be had. And I know better. But this is how we used to live. And listen, there was no stop. It just kept rolling like a snowball going down a hill, just getting more steam. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath. Just like the rest of mankind. Do you know what that actually means? That means that when we were in that state in our life without Jesus... According to God's word, the wrath of God was hanging over us like a guillotine over someone whose neck was down inside the crux. The wrath of God was hanging over us. I mean, had we died in that state in our life, we would have entered eternity without Jesus, without God's grace, without God's forgiveness. Can you think of times in your life when you should have entered eternity in an unsaved state? I could tell you some stories of the times that I should have died as an unbeliever. And I am not kidding you. Whether it be a cable snapping on a dozer, pulling a log out, and almost, I mean within inches, came back and almost took my head off. My dad was a logger. I should have died in that. One time a tree fell across a piece of equipment. Inches. That huge, huge tree should have taken my life. It didn't. And all the times in a car, an automobile, when close calls should have taken my life, didn't. I was 16 years old. I'll tell this story on myself. Lost... I was as lost as any person could ever be. On Christmas Eve, back in this day, you had to pass your your driving exam, your written exam, 
And then when you passed it, you had to mail your passing certificate in. They would then mail you a driver's license. I didn't even have a picture on my card. I got in my truck, went down a road way too fast, probably 100 miles an hour, and I don't think I'm exaggerating. It was The speed on only went to 85. I was an idiot. Rounded a sharp razor curve, and there was a rock bank there, and my truck hit that nose first, flipped two or three times end over end, and turned over to the left. And I want you to hear me. I had my window down and no seatbelt on. And I came out with a flattened nose. And while I was upside down in that truck, let me tell you some things were going through my mind. First of all, my dad is going to kill me. Second of all, I can't believe I didn't die. And you know, when you're 16 or 17, you don't think about that. Life's all about fun. But boy, when you get 50 and you start looking back on your life, and you start thinking about how easy life passes... And you begin to go back and trace times in your life when God's grace flowed upon you and you never deserved it. And God's hand was on your little sinful, rotten life when you didn't deserve it. It melts you like wax. Had I died in that state in my life, I'm convinced beyond any doubt that I would have entered straight into an eternal hell where I would pay for my sin the rest of my life. That's where I would be, folks. But God. But God. And this is exactly what Paul says. But God, He made us alive in Jesus. Notice what happens. And by the way, just a little technicality here. Do you know in the Greek text, chapter 2, verse 1, all the way down through 10 is one sentence. That would be bad English. It's really good Greek. And when you check for a subject and a verb, this is how you preach a passage, by the way, you find the subject. Where is the subject in 11 verses here? Do you all know? Just look in verse 4 and circle God. That's the subject. Now, where is the main verb? Look down in verse 5. Here it is. You ready? Made us alive together. One word. So the subject and the verb of these 11 verses is this. God made us alive. He made us alive. And all the rest is fill-in information. And here's what Paul says. God made us alive. How did he do that? Chapter 2, verse 4, Paul writes, But God. But God. Given over to the world, the passion of the flesh, the passion of the mind, the power of the enemy. But God steps in, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Oh. What do you say? What do you say? Besides, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for grace. Notice a couple of things here. God being rich in mercy. Do you know what mercy is? Some people define mercy, but they do not go far enough. You know, we like these little colloquialisms. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy is God withholding what we do. Well, when you study mercy in a theological intention... 
Mercy is not just God withholding what we deserve. Mercy has another element on it. And that is God going the extra step to do what's required to take the wrath away. In other words, God so loved us that He stepped in and He provided a way for wrath which we deserve to be removed. So God is rich in taking away our wrath. What we deserve, God is lovingly rich in taking away. He's rich in mercy. And sometimes you hear people say, well, I'm such a sinner, God could never forgive me. You have too low of a view of God. He's way bigger than you think He is. And by the way, when Paul says He's rich in mercy, uh, His stock is not going to go down. This is one stock if you can invest in, you should, because it will never depreciate. He's rich in mercy. Why? Because of the great love with which He loved us. You see, what motivated God to act in mercy? And the answer is, His love. Because of the great love with which He loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. And Paul can't help himself. You see those dashes there in the Greek text? This is almost like Paul can't help it. He's got to say this. He made us alive. And then he adds, By grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved. Let me read it without the dashes. He made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now remember, in chapter 1, Paul was praying that you as a believer might understand the hope that you have. Listen to what Paul says God has done for us. He's made us alive. He, He lavished us with mercy. He had great love for us. And now not only that, what did He do? He raised us up and seated us with Jesus. Now that is a positional truth, by the way. You are raised and seated in heavenly places, but you're really seated here in Trinity, which is a heavenly place here, but it's not the one He's talking about. By the way, if you do a study in the book of Ephesians on heavenly places, it's a good little study You'll, you'll discover that God is allowing you and I to be trophies of His grace, not just for people here on earth to see, but also for the spiritual realm. Did you know that? Y'all are looking at me really funny. Look in chapter 3. I didn't put this on the screen because this is just extra. There's no charge for this. That's a joke, by the way. Look in verse 7 of chapter 3. <clears throat> Paul says of this gospel... I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of His power to me, though I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Look in verse 10. Here's the reason that Paul was able to preach this gospel. So that through the church, 
the manifold wisdom, that means the many prongs, the many sides of wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Hmm? What? Paul, you're, you're sharing the gospel so that God's wisdom may be known to the principalities and the powers, not here in the White House, but in the heavenly places? You know, one great preacher of yesteryear used to say, secret sin on earth is open scandal in heaven. I want you to think about that for a minute. You and I, according to God's word, are being watched. And the way we live and what we do and how we act and how we treat people is being observed by rulers and authorities in heavenly areas to see whether God's transforming grace really does something in our life. We're being observed. Now, I've never seen any of these rulers or authorities. Don't tell me your stories if you have. I mean, I'm not saying don't, but this seems to be something that a believer is basically living their life before a testimony and a witness of the spiritual world. Not just other people around us, but rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Now, in case you think I'm making this up, look in verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Paul says, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. So don't worry about me suffering. I'm doing it. It's a testimony not just to people here, but also rulers and authorities. And every time I share the gospel, they just marvel. This is God's grace. Back to the passage. May God made us alive together with Christ, raised us up and seated us in heavenly places for this purpose, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now, believers, stop. Are y'all back with me? Are y'all still in heavenly places or are you back here? Okay. So Paul says, God made us alive together and he saved us for this purpose. Here's another purpose clause. See that? So that? Every time you read that in, a Greek, in an English text, there's a purpose there. He saved us. He made us alive so that in the coming ages... He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In other words, folks, we haven't even scratched the surface of the tailgate party of eternity. I mean, God, according to Paul and God's Word, He's not going to show you the immeasurable riches of His grace now. You'll get to see some. But according to Paul... In the coming ages, he might show this in us according to his riches and his grace and his kindness in Christ Jesus. The best, my dear friend and brother and sister in Christ, it hasn't even started. Acts 
And I mean, you're talking about fodder for New Year's thinking. What does God have in store for His people? That'd make a good series, wouldn't it? What the, God's plan for the coming ages. You know, He has revealed some things to us, some truths about what's happening in the coming ages. Probably make a really good series. It's, it's quite intriguing. It's motivating. It gives you hope. Makes you not care about what's on CNN, Fox, or any of the rest of those bad news reporters. Because God has good plans for us. Now notice what Paul says. He's going to show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus in the ages to come. Now Paul comes back. He can't help it every time he, he said. Now he goes and says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. In other words, all of this, God making us alive, God lavishing mercy on us, God giving us love, God going to show kindness to us in the ages to come, every bit of this is a gift of God, and you and I didn't do one thing to deserve it except believe on the Lord Jesus Christ so that we may be saved. Believe. Accept the free gift of eternal life in the person of Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection. And the believer has all these riches given to us as a gift. And notice what Paul says because not, he, he wants this to be very clear. And by the way, if you read 1 Corinthians, he makes this very clear. Not one person, and we are all prone to to boasting and pride and talking about what I, 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 I've done, I, I, I. Not one person will ever be able to stand before God and say, I merited this grace because I am this or this or this. The only thing that every genuine, true believer in Christ is able to say is, I am totally unworthy, I'm totally undeserving, I am totally a wretch, but because of God's great love and His great grace and His rich mercy, He gave me something I could never, ever earn and I never, ever deserve. And He gave it to me as a free gift. And it's all because of Him. And by the way, Paul puts this in there so that no man, no man, notice what this says, no one in the Greek language, no man, woman included, may boast. Anything that God gives us because of His grace or His mercy or His love has zero to do with you or who you are. It has everything to do with who God is and how rich and how merciful He is. I mean, Paul here takes the perfect idea of a man and takes a, a machete and just chops this man all to pieces because he says, by the way, you were all the course of the world, the course of the prince of the power, under this and under that and passion of the flesh. Chop, 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 chop. No man's going to boast except in God's grace, in the person of Jesus Christ. Wow. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, so that no man may boast. The third blessing that God gives to us is thank God He doesn't just make us alive, if that weren't enough, but He doesn't quit. He continues to work through us. Isn't this amazing? How can God take something that was given over to the passion of the flesh, given over to the the lust of the mind, given over to all the works of the flesh and every form of whatever you can think. How can God take something like that, make it alive, and give it meaning and purpose in life? It's, it's amazing grace, folks. God is amazing. But He does that in our life and turns us around. Notice what the text says, Ephesians 2.10. For we are His workmanship. That word workmanship is poimeon. What does that sound like? Poimeon. Poem. The English word poem comes from a form of this word. And some people have made a big deal out of this. Don't make a big deal out of it, but I have to have some kind of application here. For we are his poem. Not exactly, y'all forgive me. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Why? You all read it for me. What what did God create you to do? He made you alive in Jesus Christ so that you would do something with your Christian life for Him. Whatever that may be. I don't know. Maybe it's in your profession. Maybe God called you into a profession uh, I don't know what it is. Whatever your profession is, God called you to do that profession, not just to earn your living, but for His glory. If you don't believe me, read Colossians. Paul says that whatever you do, in word, in deed, whatever, do it all for the glory of God. Work as you're working for the Lord. Stop working for man, being an eye pleaser. Work for God. He's the one who gives you your reward. So do your job with full heart. And this is, I think, what Paul's talking about. And adding to that, I mean, I think there's work in the church and other things, but your life, Paul basically says here, is created by God. He gave you life so that you would live it on purpose for Him. You, were, you are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, you ready to have your mind stretched? Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Don't ask me to explain that one, but I will some other time. God predetermined in our life, basically, that in some way we were going to come to Christ, and He has a plan and a purpose for our life. And by the way here, He gives us free will to do this. Are you going to live for Him? Or are you going to live for yourself? And see, this great choice is before every believer. God, God has a plan for our life, not only in this life, but in the ages to come. Now, hear me carefully. So in the ages to come, are we going to do what God expected us to do here so that His plan will be fulfilled there? Or are we going to short-circuit that and have it our own way and live for this life only? 
And so this is what's laid before the believer. The believer will never be judged for the penalty of their sin, but they will be evaluated at the judgment seat of Christ to determine our eternal rewards. What do we do with that? I want to read you a story, and I I had marked in my notes, I shared this back in 2015. But some of you weren't here in 2015, and even those that were have forgotten this. It's a story about a pastor in New York who was talking about knowing all of these truths about God and having opportunities to share them and kind of blowing them off. Notice this. Jim Cimbala preaches at a church in the slums of New York. He tells the following story. It was an Easter Sunday and I was so tired at the end of the day that I just went to the edge of the platform, pulled down my tie and sat down and draped my feet over the edge. It was a wonderful service with many people coming forward. The counselors were talking with all these people in the corners. And as I was sitting there, I looked up in the middle aisle and there was about the third row a man who looked about 50, disheveled, filthy and nasty. He looked at me rather sheepishly as if saying, could I talk to you? Now you have to understand, we have homeless people coming all the time asking for money or whatever. So as I sat there, I said to myself, though I'm ashamed of it now, what a way to end a Sunday. I've had such a good time preaching and ministering, and here's a fellow probably wanting some money for more wine. He walked up, and when he got within about five feet of me, I smelled a horrible, wretched smell like I had never smelled in my life. It was so awful, when he got close, I would inhale by looking away, and then I would turn back and talk to him. I would look away again and inhale, because I couldn't inhale facing him because of his stench. I asked him, what is your name? And he said, my name's David. How long have you been on the street? Six years. How old are you? I'm 32. Simbala said he looked 50. His hair was all matted. His front teeth were missing. You could smell the stench of wine and his eyes glazed. Where do you sleep last night, David? In an old abandoned truck. Simbala says I used to keep in my back pocket a money clip that also holds some credit cards. He says I reached in my back pocket and fumbled, pulling one out, and I thought, well, I'll just give him some money. I won't even get a volunteer to fool with him. They're all busy talking to others. And he says, usually we don't give money to people, but in this particular instance, I was going to give it anyway. He says, I pulled the money out of my pocket and began to fumble through it, and David pushed his finger in front of me and said, I don't want your money. I want your Jesus. I want the one you were talking about during this service because... I am not going to make it. I'm going to die. I'm going to die on this street. Symbala says, I completely forgot about David. And I started to weep for my own self and my own heart. Here I was going to give a couple of dollars to someone God had sent to me. Do you see how easy it is? I could make the excuse I was tired, I didn't have time, But in reality, there is no excuse. I was not seeing this man the way God sees him. I was not feeling about this man the way God feels about him. But oh, did that change. 
David just stood there. He didn't know what was happening. I started pleading with God, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. Please forgive me. I'm so sorry to represent you this way. I'm so sorry. Here I am with my message and my points and my stories, and you send somebody here and I'm not even ready for it. Oh, God. Symbola says, something came over me. Suddenly I started to weep deeper. And then David begins to weep. He falls against my chest as I was sitting there crying about my own heart. As he fell against my white shirt and my tie, I put my arms around him, and there we wept over each other. The smell of his person, instead of being a stench, became a beautiful aroma. And here is what I felt the Lord made real to me. Jim, if you don't love this smell, I can't use you here. Because this is why I called you to these city streets. This is why you are here. This is what you are about. And this is what you are to smell. Symbala writes, Christ changed David's life. He started memorizing portions of Scripture that were incredible. We got him a place to live. We even hired him in the church to do our maintenance. And we got his teeth fixed so people would not look at him funny. He ended up being a handsome man when he came out of the hospital. They detoxed him for six straight days and he spent Thanksgiving at my house. He also spent Christmas at my house. And when we were exchanging presents, he pulled out a little thing and said, this is for you. It was a little white hanky, the only thing he could afford. A year later, David got up in our church the Brooklyn Tabernacle, by the way, and talked about his conversion to Christ. The minute he took the mic and began to speak, I said, this man has been called to preach. This past Easter, our church ordained David as a minister of the gospel. He is an associate minister of a church over in New Jersey. And I was so close to saying, here, take this, I'm busy. So let me challenge you this week as we have been blessed with God's grace. Perhaps God leads someone in your life like David. And maybe you are the messenger that shares eternal life with them. Before you just brush them off and consider them something that's an invasion of your time, before you do that, stop and pray. Oh God, do you want me to share Christ with them? Father, Thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for your rich grace that you have bestowed, you've lavished upon us. We are such blessed people in Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would give us a true heart for others so that when we see people, that we actually see them through your eyes. What a wonderful, wonderful blessing you have given to each one of us to be a witness for you. Help us to take full advantage of that. And maybe in this upcoming year, each one of us here at Trinity can be involved in the life of at least one person to share this blessing of this rich greatness that you have lavished upon us with someone else. And may they too trust Christ as their personal Savior. Move in our heart. Move in our church. May we see great things this year from you because we want to be obedient 
and sharing your message with others. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.